Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars, make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. 95 degrees outside. Looks like it's going to be a hot week. Look, as somebody who complains when... We have the month after month after month of relentless cold. I, you know, I, I understand. Would I like it to be 75 instead of 95? Yes, but I, I'm not going to complain about the heat for a while, but uh, I have to get used to it. It's going to be around for a while. Hope you had a great 4th of July. Hope you stayed safe. Hope you stayed healthy. Um, hope you practiced appropriate self-social uh, distancing, but still were able to get out and enjoy yourself. I know um, we had a lot of different activities. We had a great deal of fun over the 4th of July. Let us get started. We, we touched on this last week. I think we did one segment on it, and it's, you know, I, I think it, it deserves more conversation. Now, there's a lot of excitement in the air because sports is supposedly coming back. Uh, Major League Baseball is going to be announcing a 60-game season. It's supposed to start at the end of this month. The NBA is going to be playing games, quote-unquote, in a, a bubble. What they're going to be having is teams going to be going to Orlando. They're going to finish the regular season playing eight games, and then you're going to go into playoffs. They're going to be at uh, Disney World, at this ESPN complex that's there. College football. Now, I mean, college football starts right around, well, Labor Day, which means the teams are starting to come back in very, in very short order. They're going to be getting into practice situations. And NFL, um, they, right now, they've cut the preseason from four games to two. There is some word that they, they might get rid of all the preseason games. Don't know if that's going to happen or not. But regardless, training camp is going to open up at the end of, of July which is only three or four weeks from now. So you've got all these different plans to try to bring back professional sports, this professional team sports. Well, here, here's part of the problem with that, and you saw this over the weekend. Uh, there, there is, down in Franklin, there, there's a, it's the American Association Independent Professional Baseball Minor League Games. And, and what they did, the Milwaukee Milkmen and the Chicago Dogs played on Friday night, a number of tickets that you could that could be sold were limited, so appropriate social distancing. But even with the limited tickets, the event sold out. Okay, great. People want to go watch baseball. So they were going to supposed to play a second game on Saturday. Couldn't happen because players, or at least a player, maybe two, tested positive for COVID-19. So the game had to be called off. Had, had to be shut, the game was shut down. Don't know when they are going to play again. All right, the Bucks are one of a handful of teams that have closed their local practice facility because one or more players or staff members tested positive late last week. 
So, all right, they're, they're not having organized practice at their facility anymore. You have Major League Baseball. And, of course, the Brewers just announced today that a couple of their players had tested positive, and now they're, they're separated from the team, and they're in the protocols. Keep in mind also that the NBA is going to try to have a bubble. That is, they're going to try to have all the people you know, stay in hotels at Disney World. But you're, you're talking about grown-ups, and it's not a prison camp. And you know darn well that people are going to go out, and they're going to socialize, despite the best efforts. And, of course, Orlando, Florida in general, is one of the hot spots of COVID-19 now. For baseball, there's not a bubble. The teams are going to be traveling. Now, they're not traveling across the country, but the Brewers are going to be traveling to St. Louis and Chicago and Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. And then those teams are going to be traveling here. They are going to be staying in hotels. And you know darn well that these are young men, they're athletes. You know darn well that they're they're going to go out. So I think it is inevitable that you're going to have players that are going to be coming down with COVID-19. Now, hopefully, because they're young and athletic, it's not going to have serious long-range consequences, but but they're going to get sick. Now, don't even talk about college football, where you've got, what, upwards of 100 people on a team. These are college kids that are going to be, you know, in dorms on campuses, close quarters, number one. But number two, you know they're going to be going out and socializing because that's what college kids do. And then with the NFL, you have rosters that, what, they're 80 or 90 players, all of whom are going to be, again, out and about in their community. All right, I put all this together, and, and I will tell you, I just, I hope I'm wrong. I am not rooting for this experiment to fail. But the more I think about it, the more I just don't see how professional sports is going to be able to operate over the next few months. Because inevitably, especially as COVID-19 spikes as it does, it seems to me you're going to have players and staff that are going to be testing positive. And, you know, once once this hits a particular team, and once you get a critical mass of players who are either exposed or who are sick, you're just not going to be able to continue. They're not going to play other games. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If I had to bet, I would say that the, the league that has the best chance of pulling this off is probably the NBA because they're playing in, in this bubble. But even at that, I, I think it's going to be a struggle because my guess is you're going to have players that just refuse to stay you know, within Disney World. And they're going to be going out and they're going to be socializing and they're going to be risking getting exposed. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will the teams be able to complete the season? Will the NBA be able to finish? Will Major League Baseball be able to finish? Will college football be able to start and finish? Will the NFL be able to start and finish? I think if you know if you were asking me what the odds are that all four of those teams can complete the seasons, I'd say it's probably ninety percent against eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry. I just, I, believe me, I, I'm not rooting against the sports leagues confi- continuing or, or finishing. I, I hope it, it happens. I'm looking forward to the Brewers starting to play. I'm looking forward to the Bucks starting to play. I hope the Big Ten has a football season, and I sure hope there's an NFL season. 
I, I'm just looking at what happened. You know, over the weekend, you had the Milwaukee Milkmen. It's a it's a double A team. You know, they, they played a game. I guess on Saturday they played, and then it was Sunday. You know, because somebody tested positive for COVID nineteen, they had to cancel the game. All, all right, that that just that's Franklin, Wisconsin, where this happens. I'm trying to imagine what is going to happen moving forward when inevitably you have players who are going to be out. They're going to be traveling. In the case of um, well, Major League Baseball, for example, they're going to be traveling between cities. They're going to be exposed to people in hotels. Presumably, they're going to be going out to restaurants and things of the like. You know what's going to happen is some of the players are going to test positive for this, and then you know they're going to have to be put on the shelf for, what, a week or two weeks. It's, I just don't see how you can pull something like this off. And again, I hope I'm, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm trying to imagine how you end up doing this. Okay, let's start with Pat in Hales Corners. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Uh, one of my questions that's been bugging me lately is they're talking about all these major colleges, that they, their whole finance, their whole world is set up on football and basketball. Right. And if they can't play, how many of those colleges are going to even remain open? Well, you know, it's that's that's an I mean, thank that that's an interesting question, or at least what is it going to do for the sports programs that, for example, depend on the revenue generating sports like basketball and, and football? I mean, there, there's a story out today. Harvard. Now, I understand Harvard is not a football power, but Harvard announced today that with a couple exceptions, all their classes are going to be online. Uh, they're going to allow the freshmen, allow, the freshmen are apparently going to be able to come to campus, but all the instruction is going to be online. And then the freshmen are going to be there for a semester, then they're going to send them home, and then the seniors are going to be able to come back for second semester. But even if you're on campus, you're, you're going to be in dorms. It's all going to be online instruction. And if you're a sophomore or a junior, you're you're not you're you're going to be just learning from home wherever you are. Don't come to the campus. And they are, by the way, still charging you fifty thousand dollars a year for the privilege of, of of attending. But but that's to your point, Pat. That's exactly what's going on. You're, you're, how can you have these? How can you have sports? I mean, how? And again, I, again, I hope I'm wrong. I'm not rooting for this, but I'm just trying to picture, okay, you've, you've got a college football team that is, again, 60, 70, 80 young men. You know, they're, they're in dorms. You know, they're, it's not going to be like at a monastery. You know, they're going to be going out. You know, there's going to be a degree of socialization. You can tell people as much as you want, but you know, you get five or six guys that test positive, for example. They're in the locker room or they're in the dorms. They're exposed to all the other players. And pretty soon you've got everybody who is either testing positive or people who are in quarantine. And we know that they're not going to let people play after they've been, you know, exposed. I mean, that's just the reality of this. And I just, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, boy, I, I hope this works. Now, the example, you know, English Premier League soccer has been back for a couple weeks and, you know, they've been traveling, playing in front of empty stadiums, but they haven't had a problem. I'm just not sure how that's going to work in the United States. Jeff, here's a couple texts. Not sure what the NBA and NML and Major League Baseball is thinking. There is no way they can safely resume playing, let alone attract and safely house and retain enough fans to make it financially viable, not to mention the resurgence in cases will certainly deter more players from resuming gameplay I don't think it looks good for the NFL either that's what the texter says I boy I mean I yeah. 
Boy, I, I just, uh, you know, a fall without NFL football would be just terrible. Jeff, I think it would be a miracle if any of the pro sports make it to the end. Well, I think there's something like that. Now, here's the contrast. Jeff, we need to stop the freakouts every time one of these announcements comes out. Good grief. Almost all of these players have no symptoms. Even if they are due, they are young and healthy and will be fined. What's the end game here? No sports for five years? I, I, I understand that that's the... The, the issue right now, but if you look at the amount of th- these numbers that are, are spiking and the teams all have these different protocols that are in place, what do you do when a couple players inevitably test positive? They have exposed other players on the team. You know, are you going to then trot that team out and have them play games against? Okay, but, you know, worst case scenario, the, the, the Chicago Cubs. Somehow a bunch of their players end up getting, you know, testing positive or whatever. Even if you have some people that are asymptomatic, you, are you going to have them play the Brewers on opening day? How, how do you make this work? Here's another texter that has kind of a dark view of this, but it's none of this makes any sense until we have a vaccine. Uh, that may be the case, but a vaccine is probably a year or two off. I mean, that's just kind of the reality of this, a vaccine that could be widely disseminated to the general population. And as we've talked about before, even once you get a vaccine, there's going to be a big chunk of people. Um, there's going to be a big chunk of people that don't take it. Jeff, what if they get a quarter of the way through the NFL season and a whole team comes down with the, the virus? Then what? Do they sign up walk-offs off the street? Do they forfeit the games? Don't know. Now, again, this is a worst-case scenario. You hope it does not happen. We all want to root for that, but there's a big story. There's a big story in the Wall Street Journal today talking about, it's looking at baseball, and it's talking about the perspective of from baseball. You know, you you have a number of, of young players who you, you can say over and over and over again, look, this is serious. You, you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to precautions. You've you got to social distance. You've got to stay away. You, you can tell that, but you can say that to all sorts of people. But then, you know, we, we see what happens. You have young people who, who run out to the bars. You have young people that run out to the beaches. You have young people that run out to the dance clubs. You have young people that, that socialize. So now you've got a bunch of professional athletes, many of whom are young, who are, in fact, you know, inevitably going to socialize. And that means inevitably a certain percentage will end up getting sick. Look, I hope I'm wrong. I just, the more and more I see of this and look at the logistics, the the more I think it's just less and less likely that we're going to be able to pull this off. And as somebody who desperately wants to see the Bucks finish the season and win the championship and who definitely wants to see a 60-game Brewers season and then let's let the chips wear, fall where they may, and who's somebody who can't imagine going through a fall without being able to listen to and or watch the Green Bay Packers. I, I, you know, not to mention then, you know, what do you do with college basketball when it's supposed to start up in November? I just, I think we're not out of the woods yet when it comes to reorganizing and restarting these major team activities. Hope they're able to pull it off. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Last week, I told you this was going to be a mess that the city could not allow to happen. And you know what? That is what it has turned out to be. You will remember last Wednesday, a group of air quote activists show up outside of City Hall and decide to, in giant letters up and down Water Street, paint 
the phrase defund the police, big capital letters, and they, they block off Water Street to, to do that, and the police let them do it. And my point last week was you, you cannot allow people to just come and deface public property because where 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 do you draw the line if it's okay to stop traffic on water street and and do that and put defund the police can i go outside of uh, i don't know go outside of the police administration building and if i want to say reelect donald trump or chief morales rules in, in big letters do i get to stop traffic and do that you just can't allow it to to happen you can allow peaceful protest and if people want to put up murals on private property or paint big things and make arrangements with building owners to put it on the side of their buildings. That, that's fine. But you just can't allow people to make political statements like this and, yes, deface public property. Okay, so inevitably, here's what happens. So Wednesday, the big defund the police thing. On Friday evening, what happens is um, another group goes out, this time in the middle of the night, and they, they change around the letters. So instead of saying defund the police, they change the U to an E, and it says defend the police. So you've got this other group that's out there, and they've got their spray paint. So now it says defend the police. So what happens yesterday? Well, here's how the website Urban Milwaukee describes it. All right, and by the way, nobody gave any permission for this because I think even the Milwaukee Common Council recognizes you don't want to go down this route because you can't allow people just to, again, block traffic and spray paint whatever they want across city streets. Um, all right, so here's what happens. The group that that apparently was involved with painting the defund the police in the first place, they show up Sunday morning, and they put up yellow caution tape across Water Street. Okay, like, the, you know, the police tape to, to the light poles. All right, so what happens is the police department then shows up and says that they take down the tape. They say you can't block the street off to paint a mural. All right, then what happens is the group says, well, we're going to do it anyways. And they block the street off with cars and roll tape across the street again. At this point in time, the police, because this is Milwaukee, and we you know, have leadership that is not willing to confront protesters, the police apparently just, just stop. They, they, they allow this to happen. So the organizers say, okay, here's, here's what we're going to do. If, if you don't let us repaint the street, we're going to hold our breath and we're going to turn the area outside of City Hall into a protest. And, and so that's what they do. So the police just, as the crowd starts to grow, the police just back off and, and let the quote-unquote protesters, the painters, do what they want. And so they block off the street on their own, and they repaint it. Now it says defund the police again, at least, I don't know, until somebody else goes out and changes the words once again. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I don't care where you are on the issue of defunding the police or, you know, wh- wherever you are on social justice issues, okay, that, that doesn't matter. To me, we can't allow people to just decide that we're going to take our spray paint or our whatever and, and we're going to go out and deface. And, yes, that's the word I use. We're going to put up political messages on on streets or on sidewalks or on city hall or, or whatever because there's no logical limit to this. Like I say, if you say the folks that want to put defund the police, that they have a right to do that, which they don't, all right? 
Do you have other groups that then get put whatever message that they want across different areas of public property? And we're making a huge mistake in allowing this to happen. And it started a couple days ago when they allowed the group to do this in the first place because logically you understood. It led to exactly what happened on Friday where you have another group that comes out and, and they paint over what the first people had painted on. Now the other group is back and they have repainted this. I do not know. You know where where this goes, but I do know that you shouldn't be able to make political statements like this. You know by defacing public property. If you want to march and carry signs that say "Defund the police," go with God. But you shouldn't be able to do this on the streets. And inevitably, unless we put an end to this, and unless they start covering up this quote unquote street art and prohibiting people from doing it, you're going to see this go on all over the city of Milwaukee. And, you know, some people are going to get upset with the different messages. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think they can let this go on. I think it was a mistake to let it happen in the first place. And I think by simply allowing it to continue, you are only asking for trouble. Am I right? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, here's a text that sickens the silent majority when we see how law enforcement is required to stand by ultimately at the direction of politicians and watch as individuals blatantly violate the law. When you allow people to deface property, street painting, vandalize, tear down statues, it sends a message to the criminal element that we can do, that anybody can do what they want whenever they want without legal consequences. It's a ramped up level of inaction as it relates to the broken windows theory. Bottom line, hold people accountable and take action when it is appropriate. Well, that's Again, that that's the point. There, there's legitimate protest, and of course, you you want to allow that, but you can't allow everybody with a can of spray paint or paint and brushes or whatever that wants to make political statements and draw big letters on the street. You, you, and, unless that's going to be it, we're just going to turn the city of Milwaukee over to graffiti artists. And and the problem, this is what happened. When it started on Wednesday night, when the mayor stood by and when you had politicians in the Common Council decided they were going to stand by. And I, I understand that the police chief is kind of got his hands tied. It's like, well, we, we don't want to be overly confrontational with the people that are doing this. And as a result, you now set this precedent that's that's a mess. Let's talk to Al on the south side. Al, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. This is it's gotten out of hand and it's not going to. You're going to be like Detroit if we're not careful. I don't know what the mayor's thinking at all. He's well, sitting back. You should be crowned in the National Guard or something. I well, I mean, it's. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, it's, it's. It's not that bad. I mean, this isn't this large group of people, but but of course you you escalate. So you let a handful of people do this. I mean, this you let a handful of people do this. And, and because, okay, well, we, we just, we, we don't want to get into a confrontation or whatever. And so then there's a lot of people out there that don't agree with the defund the police movement. A lot of people out there, my guess is the vast, my guess is the majority of citizens, you know, don't, don't agree with defunding the police. 
All right. And it means different things to different people. But we're going to talk about the crime rate in the city of Milwaukee. Um, you know, the mayor asked for a cessation of violence over the weekend. Apparently, people weren't listening. I'm just saying that. So, OK, we, we've got crime that is exploding, the homicide rate that's through the roof. And so I think there's a lot of people of goodwill who decide, well, you know what? We, we just don't want to defund the police at this time in our history. But OK, that, that's a debate that you can have. But, you know, one side of a political argument doesn't get to write that. I mean, let's let us just assume that next you have the pro-life movement, for example, that decides that they want to go out and block off three blocks on Wisconsin Avenue and write, you know, I don't know, some anti-abortion message, abortion kills, or, you know, whatever. You know, we, we wouldn't let people do that. Of course we wouldn't let people do that. Or re-elect Donald Trump or, or whatever. We, we just do not allow that to happen because it's vandalism, it's defacing public property, and it just creates this vicious cycle to which there is no end. That's why Mayor Barrett was wrong. That's why the police were wrong in allowing this to happen in the first place. And so now, again, you, you've got this, you're, you're going to have this ongoing battle on Water Street where another group comes out, again, say a group comes out tonight in the middle of the night, and they decide that they want to, you know, block off Water Street, and they want to, I don't know, write whatever they want to write on that moral mural. Why do they not have a right to do that? I mean, why do they not have as much right? And I'm not encouraging this. I, the last thing I want to see is a confrontation over this, which is why civilian authorities have to you know get involved in the first place um jeff i think this all stems from lack of leadership from the top down um yes jeff the whole defund the police movement is so hypocritical it's embarrassing there were 17 deaths over the weekend in chicago um jeff why do um, why do people, um, what do, what do unruly children do if bad behavior isn't stopped and corrected? They act out more. Now, these people are adults with adult energy and resources acting like unchecked juveniles. It won't stop until someone stops it. Um, yes. Jeff, I think it's pathetic that police have lost control to these protesters. All they need to do is bring in a fire truck and spray down the street. You can't paint things when they're wet. Um, Jeff, I want to know what Mayor Barrett has to say about this, but, you know, he doesn't want to upset people, so he's probably not going to say anything. Yeah, I think there's a, I, I think there's probably something to all that. Jeff, in addition, they kept the street closed to have a street party. How is that legal? Well, it's, again, if you're, you're threatening to have a protest and you want to do whatever you want to do, apparently, in the city of Milwaukee, it, it's fine. Get to get to do that. Jeff, I saw people were having a block party in front of City Hall. I paid taxes for that. Where is our mayor? Well, Tom doesn't know what to do, I think, is the bottom line of all this. So, look, this this was inevitable. When, when this happened Wednesday, you knew there would be a backlash. You knew there would be counteractivity. And so that happened. Now you have other people that came back and under the eye, against the orders of the police, decided they were going to block the street and take over, and they're painting this thing back. Now it's there. Don't know what's going to happen. Don't know what's next. But it, it can't be good. It, it just can't be good, which is why you have to sanction and endorse legitimate protest. But there's got to be limits. And you expect the grown-ups. By this, I mean the mayor. By this, I mean the members of the common council. 
And by this, I mean the leadership of the police department to say, okay, we're going to follow the, we're going to make people follow the rules. And that means you don't get to just go and, and paint whatever you want on city streets. If you don't get it under control, it's going to get nothing but worse. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. For everybody out there that thinks defunding the police is a good idea, and I understand defunding means different things to different people. Some of the people, um, for example, some of the people that were involved in, in defacing the street outside of City Hall in Milwaukee, they mean defund. That, that's what they mean. They mean we don't we don't want money going to the police. You know, yeah, you cut the police budget by ten percent. Oh, that's nowhere near enough. And then other people recognize that taking money, defunding the police as it weans, it's just, it's just nuts. And then you end up with, like, escape to New York, and, and nobody thinks that that's a good idea. But for anybody who, who thinks that putting resources into the police isn't necessary, well, okay, you're just flat out not paying attention to what is going on in the city of Milwaukee. Now, on Friday, Tom Barrett came out um, on the south side, and he said, you know, that, that he wants, he's troubled by what he's seeing, and, and he hopes for a violent free, violence-free 4th of July. Well, the, the bad guys didn't get the message. He, here are the numbers in Milwaukee, and it's staggering. As of Friday morning, there were 86, 86 homicides in the city of Milwaukee. The same time last year, there were like 42 or 43. So homicides are, are about, have doubled six months to six months they've doubled in a year um two years ago it was 53 so even if last year was not necessarily one of the highs 53 uh two years ago so you know you're looking at a pace if this number continues you're going to have to go back to the early 1990s you're going to have to go back 30 years to find another year where you had as many homicides. And as I always say on this program, homicides aren't the only indicator of violence because what I always do is I look at shootings because anytime somebody gets shot, it could easily turn into a homicide. Most of the times, it's but for the, the grace of God that the bullet hits somebody in the shoulder instead of hitting somebody in the chest, and you end up, you know, okay, in the emergency room instead of, of the morgue. So you, you look at these numbers. Well, this year, okay, this is as a, as a Friday, 273 non-fatal shootings this year compared to 182 last year. So that, that's almost 90. And that does not include the fact that starting on the 4th of July, despite the mayor's appeal for, hey, let's have a peaceful 4th, that between um, between noon on the 4th, Saturday, and 2 a.m. yesterday, Sunday, there were 12 more shootings. So that puts us up, um, you know, ballpark, Somewhere around 285, and I don't know what happened Sunday. I don't have the most current numbers, but we're, we're pushing 300 non-fatal shootings in Milwaukee, and it's, it's not even the middle of, of July. And you know that these numbers are only going to get worse. Now, there's a lot of other issues, you know, that are going on here. And the question is, you know, it's not just unique that this amount of urban violence that's going on is is not unique to Milwaukee. You're seeing it in New York. You're seeing it in Chicago. But it comes at a very dangerous time in, in various communities. The Journal Sentinel has an interesting piece today where you know they're they're talking about you know the the outrageous number of of shootings etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know kind of buried in the back of the story is one of the key things it talks about 
police morale. And, you know, that the, the fact is that, you know, if you if you want to talk about morale on a police department, it's it's tough to be a cop nowadays. You know, we've discussed this on the program before. I, I just I don't know who is signing up. What what young person says, look, I I, I want to go into law enforcement, particularly in an urban area where I'm going to essentially be viewed as an occupying force. I'm going to have all these people in the community that are hostile to me. I'm going to have, you know, some people on the far left that, that want my job to completely go away. And I understand there, there's problems with the police departments. Nobody, nobody argues that. But at the end of the day, the fact that you have rogue cops who, you know, be- behave in an improper fashion and need to be charged and need to be rooted out. The fact that this is the view, apparently, about how at least some segments of society view all police is troubling in the extreme. And one of the things that the Milwaukee Police Department is seeing, just like other police departments, is, first of all, you have experienced officers, good cops, who have spent their careers in communities who are saying enough is enough. I, I'm, I'm eligible for retirement. Yeah, I could stick around an extra five years. I like the job, or at least I like the job, but I don't need this. And so they're retiring, creating vacancies. And the real question is, who's going to come in to fill these vacancies? So for everybody out there who thinks, hey, let, let's, let's defund the police. Let's carry this anti-cop movement to its logical extreme. Well, okay, pretty soon you might get what you wish for because you're going to find it impossible to attract and recruit quality police officers and so yeah you're, you're going to find out what cities without police look like i mean look at the city of milwaukee right now we're on pace for what about 180 homicides which would put us on a level that we haven't seen in 30 years yeah that's just what we need fewer police out on the street trying to enforce the laws and preserve order this is jeff wagner wtmj Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. Melissa, before you leave, when you hear this song, what, if anything, that's the lawyer in me, and we're not going to ask a leading question, Mm -hmm. what, if anything, comes to mind? Just a good old boy, never meaning no harm. Well, that's going to be Dukes of Hazard. Yes. And Dukes of Hazard has to be. Right. I, I thought maybe that was a little bit before your time. No, I watched that as a kid, Dukes of Hazard. Straight in the curve. <laughs> in the it is the Dukes of Hazard. Extra points, you know who sings it? I don't. Is it Charlie Daniels? No, no, no. Oh, okay. No, yeah, it, no, it's, it, no, it's Waylon Jennings. Oh, okay, Wait, gotcha. Waylon Jennings, Dukes of Hazard. For people who may not be familiar with, with that show, it ran on CBS for six seasons, 1979 through 1985. And I, I, I have to, have to say, I, I was not a huge fan of, of the show. It's just, it, it's, it was kind of this comical thing that, that featured, 
Um, well, it, it featured the the Duke boys. Um, you know, Bowen Bo and Luke. Bo, Duke. You know, oh, you boy, Daisy you do know the Duke, name, yeah. right? But well, no, I, I remember Uncle Daisy, Jesse. right? Well, well um, you, you had <laughs> you, <laughs> okay, there, there, there you go. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, it, it it was set in Hazard County, and it featured you know the the Duke brothers who were always trying to get ahead of Boss. Was it Boss Hog? Boss Hog. Boss yeah. Hog. Okay, see and that was Lulu it. was his wife, Lulu Hog. Uh, Don't even ask me how I remember. I can't I can't remember what I ate yesterday, but I remember. The no, well, I, I, well, that's that's yeah. fine. I, I I get it, but that was the thing, and I, I really never watched that much because I thought it was really a dumb show. But that's okay, you it know. Was, but yeah. but it was, but it was, but it's anyhow. There's like lots of car chases and stuff, and the the other appeal is there was there was Daisy Duke, who was played by Catherine Bach, who. Um, had these, the, when you say Daisy Dukes to people of a certain age, those are these really, really short shorts that, that she would wear, and it became this huge fashion statement. In any event, um, the, the Duke brothers, now this is, of course, was set in, in Hazard County, which was somewhere in the South. The Duke brothers, the real star of the TV show wasn't John Schneider and Tom Wolpat or even Catherine Bach. The real star of the TV show was Melissa. Uncle Jesse? No, no, no. no. The car. Oh, the, the car. The oh, car, yeah. right. The the General Lee, Lee yes, which yes. was a, a 1969 Dodge Charger. And it said General Lee on it. And they would, you know, they... They, they would always use the General Lee, and in every show, the General Lee was jumping over all sorts of stuff and, and things like that. The General Lee, of course, was one of the reasons why the Dukes of Hazard. Ultimately, you, you can you can almost you can't find the TV show very much. The only place you can watch the TV show now is, I believe, if you if you have Amazon Prime. They, they still stream it on Amazon Prime. Used to be a staple on TV Land, and a couple years ago they pulled it from TV Land because the of the General Lee. The General Lee again. It's a 1969 Dodge Charger painted orange. It says General Lee on it, and on the top of it, on on the tr- on on the top of it, on the hood, not the hood, but the 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 top of the car, it's got um, a Confederate flag. Um, on the roof of the car, a Confederate flag, and TV Land, in the face of protest, decided to pull this, um, pull the show, because they were driving around in this car that had the Confederate flag on that. Um, and so it became this, again, huge controversy. And like I say, you can, you can stream it but on Amazon Prime, but that's pretty much it. So why did we just have this conversation about a TV show that went off the air 25 years ago? Well, it's because the General Lee is back in the news. There is an auto museum in, it's called the Volo Auto Museum, and it's located, well, in in a little town, Volo, Illinois, which is about 50 miles northwest of Chicago. And at the Volo Auto Museum in Volo, Illinois, they have the last surviving 1969 Charger from the first season of the Dukes of Hazard, and they've had it for 15 years, and they have it on display. Well, this has now become controversial because there are a number of activists. As we live in this time where people are tearing down statues of Rob, statues of Robert E. Lee and 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 things of the like, and Stonewall Jackson, and all those things. So now you have th- this car 
that's associated with the TV show. And it, it is, I think, probably a relatively rare card. And the last, the last 1969 Dodge Charger that they used on this show in the first year of the show. They have it displayed. They've had it displayed for 15 years. And according to the people that run the museum, they say, well, you know, this is, um, this is, people love it. This is one of the things people love to come to our museum to see this particular vehicle. Well, all right, things have changed now. The owner of the museum says, we feel the car is part of history and people love it. We've got people from all over who remember the TV show and aren't offended by it whatsoever. It's a piece of history and it's in a museum. All right, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it is appropriate for this museum to continue displaying this car. And I hope the cancel culture doesn't get to it. But let's tee this up. I mean, it's, uh, again, you can't see the TV show. Uh, TV Land won't show the TV show. You've got the car that has the Confederate flag on it that I think most of us, or almost all of us, would agree, you know, shouldn't be flying over the State House in South Carolina. It shouldn't be being waved around by fans in the stands at NASCAR. But this This is a prop, a vehicle that was used on a very successful television show. All right, should the cancel culture eliminate this? And should the museum make the decision that this is just too offensive? People who would come to the museum to see the General Lee have to be, well, I don't know, not car enthusiasts, not TV enthusiasts, but they have to be, I don't know, closet racists. Should the cancel culture require this vehicle to no longer be displayed. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text mine, my, Line. My answer would be, if if you are bothered by this car and you don't want to see it, well, don't go to the Volo Auto Museum in Volo, Illinois. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is producing the show today and always. I'm not going to criticize you for not correcting me. Uh, apparently, as a number of you are pointing out, Bo and Luke Duke on the show were not brothers. They were, in fact, cousins. I stand corrected. Anyways, we're talking about the, the General Lee, one of the cars they used. Uh, and this is apparently a very, very rare car. It's the 1969 Dodge Charger, the last remaining one that was used in the first year of the show. It's got, it says General Lee on it. It's got the Confederate flag on the, the roof. It's on display at, and has been for the last 15 years at this auto museum in, you know, in Illinois, in a small town in Illinois. And now people are saying, well, this is offensive. You should get rid of it. To which I'm saying, look, if you don't like it, you know, don't don't pay money to go see the car, but this is a prop that was used in a very successful television show at the time. And my guess is that there are people who were fans of the TV show and would like to see the prop. My guess is there's also automobile enthusiasts who loved watching the General Lee jump over whatever it jumped over on a daily basis or weekly basis. Let's talk to Howie in Whitewater. Howie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Real well, thank you. What do you think? I think they should keep it. Um, I, I know there's another museum in North Dakota that has one of them on display also. And to me, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, people got to get over this. 
I mean, it's not, it's, they're not rubbing it in anybody's face. It's just, like you said, it was a prop on a TV series. Right, right, and a TV series that had fans, and so I mean, in, in, look, and I mean, is it anything like like I, I know that at auto shows a lot of times that they dig up the Batmobile from you know the mid sixties, yeah. and people go watch it, and I and that was a prop on a television show. I mean, do, do you look at that and say, oh, this is an endor- Batman's a vigilante, and this is an endorsement for vigilantism? No, you think Adam West drove this car on the TV show? It's kind of cool, you know. We we were fans of the TV show. It's just that's all it is. Sometimes a car is just a car it's not a political statement yeah people are going overboard on this stuff you know and you hate to see where it's all going to end up well no thanks i mean i i mean i'm i I do and that's one of the reasons why i wanted to spend a segment on this because i I do wonder what the logical where you go logically on this and and how far do we carry it you now you can't watch the dukes of hazard tv show i don't care about that much one way or the other but all right what what about what what is next? Do do we go after the Andy Griffith show because okay that that was set in you know that was set in Mayberry, North Carolina, and had a sort of a stereotypical view of the world. How far do we go with this cancel culture? And again, look, I I understand why people are offended by the Confederate flag. I, I get it, but this isn't a statement about the Confederate flag. This was a prop. It was used in an extremely popular television show, and people want to go, you know, see the the prop. Uh, Jeff, Hitler's Mercedes convertible was on display at times. Do do we ban that car from being shown? And of course, my answer would be no. It's a it's a statement of history. I um whenever I go to Washington D.C. and I used to go a lot. I don't get there as much as I'd like to. But I, one of the things I would always do is I'd go to the, the Smithsonian, the the um the American History Museum, and many times what they will do is they will have displays from popular television shows um at one point in time i was there and i remember they had the the living room set from the tv show all in the family you know they had the, the couch and the chairs and stuff like that it was kind of cool to look at and, and they weren't making any sort of political statement about archie bunker or anything like that it's just hey the show had a lot of fans this is this is what it ends up um you know this is what it ends up looking at um uh, you know, that's kind of where you, you go with all this. You know, Jeff, first of all, free speech means I should be able to fly whatever flag I want. Well, I see, I don't agree with that necessarily. I, I just don't agree with that, period. I mean, I don't think you fly a Confederate flag over the State House in South Carolina. But um, secondly, there are all kinds of things I find offensive in museums all over, and I just avoid going to see them. Yeah, see, you know, that's it. Jeff, I live close to Volo, and I see them drive it every once in a while, but not too much recently. There was also a place in Lake Villa, Illinois, which is about 10 miles from Volo, that used to paint chargers like the General Lee. We'd drive past that place, and there would be at least 10 cars sitting there that were all painted. Huh. Interesting. Jeff, the General Lee should remain it as, it as it is. If the deconstructionists have their way, they'll destroy even photographs of Confederate troops and flags from the Civil War. It's history. Well, I guess that's the point. It's it's history. Um, Jeff, you'd like to think this is a no-brainer. If you don't like it, don't pay admission to go see it, like you said. But in today's world, many entities succumb to pressure. Well, there is there is that. And this is the cancel culture that that's out there. And here's the text of my my favorite text of the day. Jeff, I, I think people complaining about this need to get a life. It's a car. <laughs> it is it's a car. And I would say it's a prop that was used in a TV show. 
And I, I understand how we have real racism in this world, and that needs to be condemned and all those things, and that's appropriate. But, again, it's a prop car sitting in a museum in a small town in Illinois. That this, There are bigger battles to fight. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. COVID nineteen cases are increasing across the country. There's some good news that the deaths, the death total, is not increasing like the COVID nineteen cases are. That's for a number of reasons. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But as these numbers go up, there is pressure being brought on states to. Go back to where we were a couple months ago, particularly with restaurants, and close bars and restaurants to all indoor dining and drinking. I maintain that that wouldn't be a good idea. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, let, let's talk about you know what we know uh, about COVID so far. It's not common to get coronavirus from a contaminated surface. All right. Now, you want to clean off your surroundings, but it's not common to do that. Also, fleeting encounters with people outdoors, unlikely to spread the virus. Walking past somebody on the street is unlikely that you are going to get the virus from that person. The major culprit is close up person to person interactions for extended periods of time, crowded events, Badly ventilated areas, places where people are talking loudly or singing, that can maximize the risk. So if if you're outdoors, yes, it can spread in an outdoor environment. But if you're outdoors and you're separated, chances are less likely that you're going to, to get it. If you're outdoors and you pass somebody, like I say, on the street as you're walking the dogs, you're less likely to get it. That's why the city of Milwaukee is considering a, a mask ordinance for walking your dog at 1 o'clock in, in the morning. And, and and maybe that's going to make people feel good. I wonder whether that's going to have any significant impact on reducing the spread of COVID-19. But, but let's talk about where where you are seeing some of that spread. And that's indoors, where people are together for a longer period of time. So that that would be ideal for bars and restaurants. And number of people are tracing the explosion that we're seeing in coronavirus cases to the, the reopening of bars and restaurants for indoor dining and drinking. Now, here's the numbers in Wisconsin. Um, all right. So far, since this all has started, you have um, 796 Deaths, 796 as of yesterday. Um, that's in a population of 5.8 million people. Um, the death total, like I say, has not been dramatically increasing. But the number of COVID-19 cases, you know, has been been going up. One of the things that we are seeing is that a large percentage of the positive cases that are coming back are people in the age group of 20 to 29 years. So that's, it's what I'm going to call the people under 30, the, the younger, younger people. And if you take that up to 40, what you see is the number increases even more dramatically. That, that's not good to the extent that nobody wants to get this virus. But it's better to have somebody who's 25 get it than it is to have somebody who's 75 and just coming off chemotherapy treatments for, for cancer get it. And that's one of the reasons, I think, that you're seeing the spike in young people, but you're not seeing hospital systems 
in around Wisconsin being overwhelmed by coronavirus cases. Matter of fact, even with the spread nationwide, with a couple exceptions, Houston being one and a couple others, you're not seeing hospital systems be overwhelmed either because the people who are getting it, well, they, they tend to be younger, they tend to be in better health, and so they, they don't need to, to be hospitalized, which, again, you don't want to get it. I'm not arguing anybody wants to get it. It's not, you're not feeling good. But one of the things that people are saying is that, look, if, if you want to trace it back to you know why we're seeing these numbers spike, we believe it's indoor dining and it's indoor drinking, where people are inside, um, the ventilation is perhaps not that great, and you're there for a couple hours sitting in this enclosed space. So the argument would be, if we want to protect people and we want to eliminate the spread, what we do is we eliminate the opportunity for people to go and have a few beers and belly up to a bar or, or whatever. We allow patio dining to the extent restaurants have patios. We allow people to have a beer in a beer garden or on a patio, but we don't allow them to go into restaurants and bars. That's the argument that's out there. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Matter of fact, what really got me started on this is my niece is a senior at San Diego State. I've told that before. Um, San Diego is was just getting ready to open up bars and restaurants to indoor dining, and now... The governor is saying that, that he might just issue another order completely shutting down all indoor dining and all indoor drinking. And the story that's it's in the Wall Street Journal, you, you got these businesses saying if that happens, we're, we're just done. I mean, we, we just we can't make it just on you know curbside pickup and whatever limited outdoor dining we have. All right. Eight, five, five, six, one, six, one, six, twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where do we where do you stand on the balancing? The numbers of COVID cases are clearly going up. You, you can't dispute that. And I think one of the other things that's out there is that some of it, not all of it, but some of it probably is attributable to us opening up places and in particular, uh, us opening up bars and restaurants. Are the bars and restaurants being scapegoated or is that a justification to roll this back and say, nope, we're going to close these down again. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think people need to be smarter. But at the same time, I don't think we can go to these businesses and say you can't operate. All right. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You are seeing COVID-19 spikes. And look, and I, I also think we have to be smarter about this. You're, we're not attributing it to, again, opening up the dog groomers. And we're not attributing it to opening up the small jewelry stores or the small luggage stores. So in my opinion, there's absolutely no justification at all for saying, okay, we're going to try to shut these places down again because they're, quote, unquote, not an essential business. I, I do think you're seeing people, particularly younger people, that, that are that are going out and they're socializing and they're getting together in, in larger groups, whether it's in bars, to a lesser extent in restaurants, or it's in, in various venues, house parties or whatever. All right, do we shut down the bars and restaurants again, which will decimate the hospitality industry? 855-616-1620. Let's start with uh, Dave downtown. Hi, Dave. Hey, how you doing? The, the one thing that really upsets me, too, is at, at some point, 
I understand the health concerns, but at some point, we have to live our life. I mean, I went to a restaurant yesterday. I thought I was going to be able to sit down. They didn't say anything when I called. and walk in. They're like, oh, yeah, you can dine here, but you have to go outside. I'm like, I don't want to go outside at 9 degree heat yeah. with a melt tarp over me baking like, in some kind of hot box in uh, some Texas chain game prison town. You know, so I'm like, they want your money, but they don't want to let you sit down. So, I mean, I kind of have a problem with it. I'm like, you're either open or you're not open. Mm-hmm. And I wish that the Restaurant Association, the Tavern League, or whomever would be more forceful as a lobbying organization. Say, they don't have any authority to do this. This is a really an infringement on your freedoms. It really is. Mm-hmm. And it's like all these businesses are afraid of government. And that's not the point. The point is for free independent thought to take on the government, not to run away from the government. Well, thank you, Dave. I, mean, I guess, see, see, to me, I mean, I, I do think, I've always believed that the government obviously has interest in trying to protect public health. And so, I mean, that's why you have food inspectors that come in and make sure that's why we have all these rules. So it says you have to keep food at certain temperatures and things like that. So, I mean, I think there is a role in government. My issue is whether or not the bars and restaurants are being unfairly scapegoated in, in this whole thing. I think what's going on now is you have people who are behaving, unfortunately, in an irresponsible fashion. Look, I, I go out to eat. I, I, I do. But, you know, I'm, I'm not piling into to packed bars. Um, I, I'm not piling into, you know, restaurants where you're crammed in one on top of each other. I mean, typically we do eat outside. Last night it was, um, today is my, um, t- today is my uh, stepdaughter's birthday. And so we, we, we took her and her husband and the family, we took them out to dinner last night. We found a kind of casual place. We sat out on, on the patio. I don't think any of us were excited about going inside to, to eat. And, and that's, that's kind of been my modus operandi over the course of the last couple of weeks. It's been, let, let's try to find places where you have outdoor dining. And largely, that's what we've ended up doing. I'm also trying to do my best to avoid crowds. I, I'm not going to go to crowded sort of places. That's just the choice that I'm going to make. And a lot of the restaurants I've been going to, for example, have been very responsible. They've, they've cut back. They're, they're operating at just a fraction of what their capacity is because they, they've got limits on this stuff. And I guess I'm trying to be smart about that. The reality, though, is if people make these what I think are arguably dumb decisions, hey, I'm going to run to the beach with 300 of my closest friends and we're going to pile in there i don't know that i think it's fair to take that out on the bars and on the restaurants let's talk to bill and cudahy bill you're on wtmj how you doing there hi bill what do you think so i'm thinking that it is a bit of a scapegoat um now the bars i can't really speak to because if they're allowing people to go shoulder to shoulder up at the bar i could see that definitely being an issue but the restaurants like the restaurants we've been to since they reopened uh, and they were opening at, you know, percentages of capacity, not full capacity. And so we were at like pitches and they had tables in between tables that were closed and there weren't right. a lot of people there. We felt very safe. We went to Alioto, same thing. There was only like three people or three tables being used. They also opened up like an outdoor tent, which wasn't very heavily populated either. Now, now Father's Day was a little bit different. We went to Zister's and that was pretty packed. And so I was a little nervous there. But I, I think the real question is, if a restaurant's an issue, why isn't Home Depot, Walmart, Target an issue? Because those places have been packed, jam-packed since the beginning of this. And so it's like, if, if we're really worried about restaurants, why aren't we looking at those things? And well, that, that, 
that's why I think maybe there's something here behind the scenes that we don't know about. Well, no, I mean, I, I think, I mean, the, the argument, Bill, is I, I think the way I understand it is that the, 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 the longer you're around somebody, the, the greater your chance of picking this up is. So the idea would be if, if you, okay, you, you go inside, you, you go to the, the Target or the Walmart or, or whatever, you're, you're probably not going to be there for two hours like you might be at the restaurant, you know, so you, you've got that dynamic or the bar. So you've got that dynamic that's going on. In, in addition, your, your contact is going to be casual. Typically, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I go into like a grocery store or something, I, I'm not in close quarters for prolonged periods of time. You know, when you go to a restaurant, you, you are, in fact, or, or a bar in particular, you know, you're sitting at the bar. There's a whole bunch of strangers that are out there. You know, I would tell you most of the places that I go to that you can't even sit at the bars anymore because they're, they're restaurants that have bars attached to them. They, they've like taken away the bar stools. And, and so you can, you can go up and, and you can order, but people aren't just standing two and three deep at the bars like that they were before. I, but I guess, I, I mean, I look at this and I mean, am, am I troubled by the fact that you have particularly people in these younger age groups that are out there and they're getting this yeah and and i know what's going on here i I know the attitude is we're going to live our life we're invulnerable we're not going to if we get it we're going to get a little bit of cough and then we're going to get over it we're not that worried and and i mean again i'm not trying to minimize this but statistically while if you're a younger person you can have some very very bad results statistically yeah if you get it in your 20s the outcome the outcome is going to be it's much more likely that you're going to have a positive outcome than if if you're somebody who's in your 80s which is why i think for people who are older and i put myself i'm getting into that category you know we have a greater responsibility to ourselves and to our our spouses and to our friends if they're in our age group to make sure that we we take all these various precautions um at the same time, I, I just I'm wrestle with the idea of you know do do we hold the restaurant responsible for this, and is it fair to to shut them down and to unemploy large numbers of of people? Let's talk to Mark in McGuanago. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? Um, Great topic. Last night, my wife and I were looking to go somewhere to eat. Um, the first place we were thinking about, we couldn't go to because the cook actually had COVID, so the business was shut down at this time. Right. Um, the next place we wanted to go to was carry out only or delivery. And then the last place we finally made it to, um, they had the table spaced out. I think it's business owner's discretion and patron's discretion. Some mm-hmm. of the employees were wearing masks. They had us put hand sanitizer on as soon as we get in. Again, spaced out tables. I think it's got to be up to the business owner on how they want to run their business and how patrons want to respond to this as well, whether they want to wear a mask or not. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, I think it's people's choice. Yeah, you know, Mark, th- thanks for the call. You know, in, see, here, here's part of the thing. I was talking to someone the other day who has a... Um, has a college age daughter and um, my, my friend's college age daughter is in a, a higher risk group because of a medical condition you know not not a life-threatening medical condition but she's in a higher risk group and and get, getting coronavirus would not be a good thing it's not a good thing for anybody but if because of this underlying medical condition um 
it wouldn't be a good thing. And, and, and my friend was telling me about her daughter's experience. And so she, she's a college student. And, and she was talking about how, you know, these college kids are all, they're, they're out there and, and they're, they're having the house parties and they're, they're together in, in people's backyards or in people's basements or, or whatever. And it's kind of like, you know, like party, like it's, you know, 2008 or, or whatever. And it's not necessarily just the bars and the restaurants, but it's that, People aren't taking this seriously. And I guess that's one of the things that's informing at least how I look at this as well. Okay, so you, you, you close down the, the bars and the restaurants, including bars and restaurants that are behaving in a responsible fashion. Well, you know, what, what you're going to see, you're still going to have the 23 year olds that are going to go cram in and have the house party. And, and so if you've got a couple that are, are sick or infected, well, they're, they're going to infect everybody anyhow plus you're not going to have the the precautions at least a number of the places that i've been going to a matter of fact all the places hand sanitizer all over uh the, the tables are are they're op- operating at a half to three quarters capacity after people use them somebody comes out and and they wipes them wipe them down etc now i understand for some people that's still not going to be enough and you're not going to be comfortable and i respect that but at the same time, I, I don't know that I think it's the bars or the restaurants problems as a general rule. If you find some bar or you find some restaurant, it's more likely bars than restaurants. If you find some bar or you find some restaurant that, that's, you know, crammed in and has people over capacity, well, that, that's a whole different story, I, I think. Uh, you know, I know some restaurants are considering opening up with this indoor mask requirement. And in Milwaukee, again, they're looking at a mask requirement. They haven't announced the details. But I, I was kind of curious, like in California, where they do have a requirement that you're supposed to wear a mask indoors at all these places. And I was kind of curious how it worked in with regard to restaurants and and, and bars. And the way the way this operates is that when you come into the place, you have to have a mask on. You have to wear the mask um, when you sit down. You have to wear the mask when you order your food. You have to keep the mask on until you're served your food. And at that point in time, you can pull the mask down and you can eat your meal. But during that time, the server isn't going to come up to you. You know, and if the server comes up to you to say, how's things? How was the first bite? Do you need anything? You're supposed to pull your mask back up and then engage with the, the server, him or her. And then when the server leaves, you can pull the mask down. And then when you're finished, you like signal the server or the, whoever, and then, then you have to put the mask back up. So you're only allowed to have the mask down when you're sitting at the seating, sitting at the table, and when you are actually in the process of of eating, all of which makes me wonder. But then you're, you're you're pulling the mask up and down, and I'm thinking, okay, it doesn't seem to me that 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 at least the function of eating and drinking, having to wear that mask under those circumstances, because you are going to have a period of time where the mask is down. I'm not sure that that makes any difference at all. Bottom line to me of all this is that people just need to be smarter uh, about this. And I don't think we should be requiring these different businesses to close. It's one thing to put capacity restrictions on, but we do have a right to expect people to be, to be smarter and especially for people who think they are invulnerable, who are fueling this increase by behaving in an irresponsible fashion, bottom line is you got to wake up. You just got to wake up. This is Jeff Wagner. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. All right. I have a question to ask you. I'm going to ask Tony and I'm going to ask Rue, but I, I want to ask you this. And I want, I want you to be honest because it's only through honesty we, we f- figure out where we're going moving forward. There are a number of COVID-19 vaccinations that are in the works. And, and let's look, let, let's face it. We're going to be dealing with this virus until we give, develop it an effective therapeutic, something that you can give people once they get it, something that makes them get better, or until we get a vaccine. And the, the vaccines are, are being fast-tracked now. All right, and there's a lot of different vaccines that are working. But we are now coming to a particular stage. I was reading a couple stories about this over the weekend. All right, we're now at a point where some of these vaccines, they have to figure out if they are effective or not, right? And the way you figure out whether a vaccine is effective or not is through what they call the challenge process. And this is what it means. It means they take a volunteer, They give them the vaccine, and then they expose them to the virus. And that's how you find out whether the vaccine works or not. On top of that, when you do these these challenges, you you have to find, well, people all across the, the spectrum including high-risk populations. For example, you know, you, you can't just, if you're trying to find out if a vaccine works, you can't just take a 22-year-old who's healthy and, and give them that vaccine and assume that that's going to work on a 75-year-old. So what you have to do is you have to go out and you have to recruit volunteers based on statistical models from all across the patient population, including getting elderly volunteers, including people who have you know, underlying health issues. You've got to have this whole spectrum, and it all depends on the ability to recruit people who are willing to be guinea pigs. All right, so, Tony. Yeah. All right, Hmm. you you get contacted. We find out that there's there's somebody working on a vaccine out of Madison, for example, and they're now at the stage where they, they want to try it out on healthy people, give you the vaccine, and then they're going to expose you to the virus to find out if it works. What are you going to do? I'd be leery. This is strictly voluntary. Like, no, there's no, do they typically pay out people at all during some of these things? <laughs> okay, so, so that's your question. Is there money right. involved in this? <laughs> Voluntarily, I'd, I'd be skeptical. I, so I that's think, a no. Yeah, I'd, I wouldn't do it. You're not doing it. And, and you're, you're otherwise young and healthy, yep, but you're not. Not high risk or anything along those lines, but uh, yeah. I, it, that's okay. It I'm not asking. Yeah, no. Uh, initially, I'd say no. I would think long and hard, though. Okay. Maybe. All right, group. Same sort of thing. We, we get this notification. They're looking for volunteers in your age group. You gonna volunteer to be to get the vaccine and be exposed? No, I'm a Tony. Pay me. <laughs> okay. <Thank you. laughs> All right. Well, I I don't I don't know where they 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 come up with this stuff. All right. I'm I'm curious. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you volunteer? for this process. And again, the reason I ask this question is because there's a number of, that this is where we are in, in the stages. And I'm looking at several stories. Um, now these researchers, they're, they're trying to find uh, people who will enroll for what they're calling the, the vaccine tests. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's what, what happens, you know, and that's, that's the best way to figure out if something works is give somebody the vaccine and then, 
you know, then you just you, you got to expose them to this to find out whether they, they get sick or whether the vaccine works. Would you volunteer for that trial? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I, t- to me, it wouldn't be money or not, but I will tell you, I... I don't think I, I forget, don't think. I, I, I am not interested in being a guinea pig for, for this. Although I appreciate the need that you have to find people, and maybe that says something about me that I'm not willing to be one of those volunteers, but I just, I would be reluctant to do this. And I'm not an anti-vaccination guy, and I'm not, I mean, I'm somebody that gets the flu shot every year and things like that, but for something like this, I just, I don't think I would, I don't think I'd volunteer. Would you? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, the, the question here is, is, is be honest. Th- these vaccines... There's a number of vaccines that are in the works, but the 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 only way, or the the only way they really know whether they work or not, is to do do, do trials where you take healthy people and you give them the vaccine, and then you expose them to the virus, and then you see whether they get it or not. And it, it's not just that simple. Like I say, when I say you take healthy people, you can't just take 23 year olds and expose them because. It, it what works for a 23 year old might not necessarily work on a 65 year old. So you've got to find a cross section of people across different um, age groups, across different racial lines, across um, because the, the is there is there a question is the does the virus behave differently with one racial group than another? Um, and you also have to find people who aren't perfectly healthy, and you have to expose them to it. So my question is. All right, if we find out three weeks from now that they're running one of these clinical trials and they've got a vaccine that they think solution got a solution to this problem out of Madison, and you find out they're looking for volunteers, are you signing up? Jackie in Sheboygan. Jackie, you're on WTMJ. Hi, hey, Jackie. Jeff. Um, I would absolutely do it. Absolutely. Can I, can, can, I, can I ask you, this is not a, a nice question for a gentleman to ask a lady, but how old are you? I'm 40. Okay, all right, got it. So you're not in the the upper age group, but you're not you're not the, the 20-something either. Okay, tell me why. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I am a medical researcher. I work at Children's, and I understand that this is, is super serious for a lot of our population. Um, we've got a lot of kiddos that are really sick and that are very fragile, and I'm a mom myself. I've got one son that... Um, can have vaccines without a problem, and my other one cannot be vaccinated. Right. He mounts a, a hyperimmune response to anything injected. So um, I get it. And I'm, I'm very afraid for my younger son to to get a vaccine without it being tested. And therefore, I, I don't feel right just leaving it up to strangers. I feel like if... Right. Um, right. With me being in this situation, I... I should volunteer. I know how well they will take care of me. So right. 
Right. I'm okay with that. Matter of fact, my, I have asthma and I have a bleeding disorder, and I still, okay. I would still do it. Well, ma- matter of fact, my understanding is a lot of times, a lot of times, some of the first volunteers are, are people that like are are medical researchers, like you are, you know, people who are working it, and they decide, okay, well, we'll we'll, we'll inject ourselves to see how the, this whole thing works. So, you you guys are really on the front line when it comes to that. Well, you know, we take our job seriously, and unless you have ever been with a, a parent who is, whose child is dying, you don't get it. You don't get it. They're desperate. And if I can help, I will. How soon do you think it's going to be, Jackie, before we have a vaccine? I, honestly, I can't tell you. It, it, the fast-tracking process makes me very nervous. Right. It does, because there are checks and balances that things have to go through in order to be safe. And, it, you know, we don't do research on kids. That's just not ethical. So, um it 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 makes me very nervous that something's going to get missed, and you know all these anti-vax people are are nervous about vaccines to begin with, and if we screw this up, mm-hmm. we might not recover from it. Yeah, no, it's in, no. Th- thanks for calling, Jack. I mean, look, I I you know it, it is interesting. I've been I've been saying this since the whole COVID nineteen thing started, which is one of my points why we we have to figure out a way to live with this. And I understand, especially back in the beginning, people would say would view this as a binary choice. Well, you know, you either it's either the economy or it's it's people dying. And and the truth is, you you have to again figure out what that balancing is. Because I I personally think a vaccine is going to be farther off than 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 some people do. I mean. And we and I understand medical science has made great advancements, but normally to find vaccines for stuff, it's it's a five to ten year process. And we're talking about doing something in in a year. And and I hope they're able to I hope they're able to pull it off. But part of that and the success of that is going to be based on finding people who are going to be willing to, like Jackie would be, volunteer. And, and again, it's going to be people. And this raises ethical issues as well. I mean, you know, do you, do you take you know, you, do you take somebody who is 70 years old and, and has some underlying condition, let's say, you know, diabetes or high blood pressure or whatever, for whom the, the outcome, if it if the vaccine doesn't work, well, you know, then they've got a much more problematic outcome than somebody who's 25 years old and in good health. But you got to do that to find out if this is going to work all across the, the board. Let's talk to Gene in Milwaukee. Gene, you're on WTMJ. Okay, how are you? Hi, Gene. I'm good. Would you volunteer for the vaccine? Yeah, I would. But they better, you haven't said anything about look for side effects first. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, at, at some point in time, I mean, they, what what has to happen is once they get to the point where they, they think the vaccine, we, we think it's good to go. We think this is going to work. But before you know that that next step is then you got to actually try it out to see if it it does work or if there are side effects that come from it you know so you you'd be the guinea pig i don't know about that then <laughs> i am 70 years old yeah but 70 but healthy yeah well they they're going to need i mean thanks to call i mean they're going to need to find 70 year olds who are willing to volunteer to, to do this. And they're going to need to find healthy 70-year-olds, and they're going to need to find um, 70-year-olds with hyper blo- with you know high blood pressure. And they're going to need to find 75-year-olds with that. They're going to need to find 35-year-olds with that. I, I'm just saying that this is one of the challenges that, that is out there. And like I say, a couple of big stories. I was just reading Wall Street Journal had one, and uh, Chicago Tribune had, had another. But I guess it, it, didn't have, it didn't occur to me 
really when we talk about, oh, they're going to get this vaccine. It's like, okay, how do you finally get the vaccine to market? Oh, yeah, you you need volunteers. And um, whether they get them or not, well, obviously, I think they probably will be. Um, during that, my, my wife, who's listening today, sent me a note saying, no way would I volunteer. And the implication was, no, no way would she volunteer and, and no way would she let me volunteer? So that's kind of off, that one's kind of off the table. But I, I understand. I mean, I, I want to see a vaccine um, very, very quickly. Uh, but I, there is also that like personal risk issue that's out there. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.